This is where you take the kind of best practices of an ABM approach and then mix that with customer experience. And then it's this whole kind of new go-to-market, which we call account-based experience. And that, in essence, is where you're really aligning those experiences to the account journey. So based on where those accounts are at any stage of the sales cycle. So once you have that mapped out, you're then able to engage those target accounts with personalized experiences across multiple channels. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. I'm Matt Dodgson, co-founder of Market Recruitment, and we connect B2B tech and SaaS businesses with marketers to help them grow. This week, we're joined by Leanne Chesko. Leanne is Senior Field Marketing Manager at Demandbase, a Gartner Magic Quadrant player in the account-based marketing platform space. So if we're going to talk to anyone about jumpstarting your pipeline, then Leanne is that person. I hope you enjoy. So welcome to the Market Mentors Podcast, Leanne. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So before we get stuck into this one, I'd love to know what your relationship is with B2B tech marketing. Yeah, so I've been in the space for five and a half years now. So I head up EMEA Marketing at Demandbase. So Demandbase, for people that may not be aware, is a essentially a go-to-market platform. So we help sales and B2B marketers go to market in a smarter way by helping them put this account-based lens across their target account list, coming up with their target account list, engaging with those target accounts, putting a stop to these kind of data silos and fragmented data, and just helping them go to market in a simple way by giving them all of the account intelligence that they need to target those accounts that are in market and target them at every stage of the buying journey. And I do everything marketing for the EMEA region. So I wear lots of different hats. So as part of my role, it's the mixture of first and foremost, demand generation and pipeline generation, working really closely with our sales team. And then also with our customers and prospects. So we drink our own champagne at Demandbase. We use our own platform. And so I get involved in a lot of pre and post-sale conversations with prospects and customers about best practices and general ABM strategy stuff. Awesome. So demand base will be one of those logos on Scott Brinker's massive document of MarTech tools out there, which is growing by the year, isn't it? By the looks of things. Absolutely. Is it over 10,000 now or maybe close to 10,000? I think it is. I can't keep up there. <laughs> it changes so much. So I can't imagine there's a demand gen marketer out there who doesn't want to increase their pipeline, but what should they be thinking about first? I mentioned it a little bit in terms of how demand base kind of helps sales and marketing. So The reality for a lot of companies is that they have lots of fragmented data. So they've got all of this critical data that's scattered across a variety of systems. It just causes them, you know, lots of issues because they're not all aligned on the same set of accounts. They can't see all of those different account interactions or what people within those accounts are doing. They perhaps can't identify the right accounts to target that are in market They're not able to then orchestrate those relevant interactions across channels. Their sales and marketing teams aren't aligning around that common view of the account. And then measuring success and just tracking how their efforts are moving the needle is really difficult. So I think the first sort of part of that is really about embracing the data and creating that single view of all of your account data. So it's in one place so that your sales and marketing team can act as one team. So that's really critical for any sort of go-to-market strategy to work really effectively. Mm. 
And then there's kind of second part to that is then once you've got all of that data foundation in place, then you start building your total addressable market. As a marketing department, you'll work with your operations team, your sales team to really understand who are the best accounts that we want to target. So who matches our ideal customer profile? So we look at things like, you know, what are the typical industries that we sell into? What are the revenue ranges? It might be, you know, employee size. Are we more focused on small businesses, mid-market enterprise size accounts? Are there specific industries that we want to go after? What are the typical job titles? So all of those characteristics that make up your ideal customer profile. So you have those. And then you kind of take that and then there's technologies out there that can help you build a target account list based on, okay, these are the accounts that match that profile. Then we layer on intent data. So that's the key thing. It's like these kind of tick the ideal customer profile boxes for us. But actually out of those accounts, who are the ones that are in market right now? So I think that's the key point is like building that data foundation, getting your ICP built and in place, and then start to look at solutions that are going to help you find the target accounts that are in market and giving you that intent data. And I think that's the first step in terms of jumpstarting your pipeline because you're able to then focus on the accounts that are in market right now. Awesome. And how often would you do something like that then? Is that something that you do throughout the year then? Is it something that you do yearly? I'm just thinking from a practical point of view, if somebody's thinking, actually, I probably need to do this, how often do they actually need to do a piece of data work like this then? I mean, in terms of your ideal customer profile, those sort of characteristics shouldn't sort of change too much unless you're bringing out lots of new products to the market. So it might change depending if you're bringing out new products to the market, you might tweak your ICP for each of those products if they're suited for a particular type of business. Mm. But if your product doesn't change kind of too much or your ICP doesn't change too much, it really depends on your sales cycle. So how long is your sales cycle? If you've got longer sales cycles, then you need to have fewer accounts on that target account list. If you've got quite quick sales cycles and maybe it's like three to six months, you need to have more accounts on your target account list. So you're going to be updating them more often. Mm. So at Demandbase, we're targeting a mixture of mid-market and enterprise. So we'll make slight changes to the target account list every quarter and then a bigger change every six months. Perfect. So once that sort of foundational data work, if you like, and you've got your sort of ICP in place then, how should we then approach the go-to-market? Yeah, that's a really good question. This is where you take the kind of best practices of an ABM approach and then mix that with customer experience. And then it's this whole kind of new go-to-market, which we call account-based experience. And that, in essence, is where you're really aligning those experiences to the account journey. So based on where those accounts are at any stage of the sales cycle. So once you have that mapped out, you're then able to engage those target accounts with personalized experiences across multiple channels. I think that personalization piece is so key. You know, it's giving them essentially relevant information based on where they are in the sales cycle. We've gone through a whole sort of exercise of actually mapping out all of our content to each of those different stages of the buyer journey as well. So at a kind of early kind of stage when they're right at the top of or beginning of that sales cycle and they're just researching, mm. this is where you're focusing on building up that trust. You're building your brand and you're kind of focusing on more thought leadership type content. And then as they get more engaged with you, you're moving from more like emotion to logic with like thought leadership type content and education. And then when they're really showing those in-market signals and actually interested from hearing from you, 
Obviously, then the type of communication then changes once they might be into an inactive opportunity or they're an existing customer. It's really focusing on validation and engaging that entire buying committee. So things like customer case studies, analyst reports, that type of content as well. Mm. And then post-sale, it's really around enhancing that post-sale experience with adoption best practices and finding those expansion kind of opportunities. But I think that personalization is really key. So do your research, get to understand the people that you're targeting, the types of personas, what their specific pain points are. I think the pain points thing is really key rather than saying, you know, this is our technology or service or solution. It's really focusing on, we understand your business. These are your pain points. This is where we can help be that kind of trusted advisor type role. It works really well. And especially now, because most of our interactions are digital We don't have that face-to-face element through events, being able to go to people's offices and meet in person. So personalization is really key. Yeah. How do you guys do the research then? A lot of different sort of sources as well. So LinkedIn's always a great source of knowledge when you're researching the individual at the account. We use our own champagne at demand base. So we use our own platform to get all of the intent data. Mm. We can understand what types of topics those accounts are researching. We're then able to see, are they engaging with our content? What type of content are they engaging with? What particular pages on our website are they actually viewing? How many people within those accounts are actually engaging with us? And we have this marketing engagements model similar to like a lead scoring model where everybody and an account and people within the account each get a score so we can see that interaction. We're getting all of this account intelligence and we can see, you know, where those accounts are throughout the different stages of the buying cycle. And then we're aligning our messaging campaigns, our advertising to each of those different journey stages. That's really key as well to sort of have everything kind of mapped out and aligned to the buyer's journey. That's really important. And then there'll be other sources, LinkedIn, I mentioned. There might be other sort of research companies there, companies' own websites. Mm. There'll be sort of industry-specific sort of sources. So, yes, variety of sort of sources. So the account intelligence that we're able to get, then looking at some sort of external sources to really understand, has there been any big company announcements, acquisitions, mergers? I think particularly if you've got the bigger target accounts or ones that you really want to become a customer. So generally with this account-based approach, you'll have this tiering element to it where you're prioritizing the accounts. So you might have, say, 150 accounts on your target account list for each of your sales reps, Mm. but not every one of those accounts are going to be in market right now, or they're going to be at very different stages of the buyer journey. And there's also going to be accounts that are going to be a higher value to your business. So really prioritizing those accounts. You're not going to do that high level of personalization and research for all of those accounts. It's really going to be your tier ones, which might be five to 10 accounts or your tier twos, which might be up to... 20 to 30 accounts. So it's prioritizing those accounts, first of all, and kind of tiering them and then working with your sales team to really build out those account plans for those ones that at that tier one level to get all of that research and information on those accounts. Perfect. And you're talking about sales then, bringing sales in, and it's probably a good point in time to sort of talk about the alignment between sales and marketing. Because obviously it's great doing all this sort of data work and then they go to market. But if you haven't got that alignment with the sales team in place, then you know it's all going to fall down. What would you be doing then to make sure that the sales team is on board then if we're thinking about sort of jump starting a pipeline then? Yeah, so I think getting them on board is crucial to this type of strategy, just being able to work and being a success. 
So I think it's about activating your sales team and giving them that account intelligence so they have all of that information. So you can do that through a variety of different ways, through email reports. Our sales team actually, we use Slack at Demandbase. When one of their target accounts goes on to our website, we have an instant Slack notification to be like, hey, they're looking at this accounts on the website. They're looking at this particular piece of content that could be really helpful if they've just had a meeting with that particular account. And we're seeing that engagement could be a customer, for example, and they're using product A, but they're researching product B, like that kind of information is really good to have. So We'll give them all of that account information. We deliver it via email as well. So they'll get like a weekly snapshot of this is all of the key activities for your target accounts. And there'll be various things in there. It might be, these are the ones that are showing really high engagement, but they haven't had any sales touches in the last two weeks. Mm. These accounts have moved to a marketing qualified account this week. These are the accounts most active on our website, or it could be these accounts are showing really high intent around our competitors. Those types of insights, I think, delivering them into their inbox and then also available whatever CRM system that they're using to record all of that account and opportunity information, being able to actually you know, integrate with those systems because most of the time the salespeople live within those CRM systems. Mm. So also giving them all of that account intelligence data that you're able to get at the account level view in your CRM is really key. So they're not having to then go find it. And then one of the things that we do with our sales team every month is what we call our ABM stand-up. So that's myself, the salesperson, their SDR, getting together on a monthly basis. And we go through and just have a look at all of the intent data. So like, right, let's pull up a list of your target accounts. What accounts are showing really high intent? Again, what web pages that they visit? What does that engagement look like? Who are the most engaged people? Where they're having that engagement, but perhaps there hasn't been any outreach by an SDR for a couple of weeks. Mm. We look at all of those types of data. And then we might have other sessions that just focus solely on, right, these are our five accounts that are in our tier one how can we drive more pipeline with those accounts and sort of start to build out account plans? So they take a sort of different form every month, essentially. But I think just having that regular cadence of let's meet as a team, let's see what the account intelligence looks like. And then what are we going to do? What is the kind of next best action? Or it could be we're seeing certain accounts that are getting stuck at a certain stage of the sales cycle. How can we then start to re-engage those accounts and try and help you get that account to become closed one account. So mm. I think having those regular meetings with the sales team, showing them all of that data, working together and coming up with a plan and way you can help them, that's been really effective. Mm. And is that something you've always done then? Or do you think that's something that you're doing more now because it's an ABM approach? Yeah, that's actually something we've done more. That's a newer sort of initiative for us. The ABM standups are. So the reporting and everything has been something we've been doing for years. But the ABM standups has been in the past just under 12 months, actually. And that's been really effective. Yeah. The other thing that we do, which is really fun, and this is more focused for our SDR team, we have Shark Week every quarter. <laughs> We've seen a lot of our customers actually do this as well because it's been so effective for us. Shark Week is essentially normally the second week of every new quarter, and it's yeah. solely focused on building pipeline to really help jumpstart that pipeline for that quarter and subsequent quarters as well. And so as marketing teams, we make sure that we have lots of programs that are 
sort of launching the week of Shark Week a couple of weeks before so that the SDRs can then really leverage those. We might have something like a direct mail campaign that's running a week before so that they have that Shark Week to follow up on that. We'll have certain webinars, events. There'll be lots of new content offers, lots of different things that they can leverage to really help them reach out to their target accounts and try and engage with those target accounts. We've actually got ours coming up next week and it's just really good fun. They have lots of competitions. There's prizes, money normally for, for those types of teams. <laughs> Funny for salespeople to be motivated by that. <laughs> yes, yeah, so people that are, you know, creating the most opportunities, the ones that are getting the most amount of meetings, yeah. the highest amount of activity. And it's really fun. We've got shark costumes. There's been lots of things sort of over the years as well. So it's just a really fun week and it gets the team, you know, really sort of excited and a bit of healthy competition is always good fun. And it's good because we've seen our customers adopt this similar approach and they're starting to get good results from it as well. So that's another thing I would say, like shark week, try that, embrace it. Try it. Perfect. It's all good and well doing all this sort of stuff, but you've obviously got to prove that it's working. What sort of metrics would you typically be tracking then in this situation? Yeah, and there's lots of different ones as well. And I think it's about having that account lens around all of those metrics as well. So a really good quote that I like from David Ogilvie is like, don't count the people you reach, reach the people that count. And I think that's so true. There's always short-term metrics and there's more longer-term metrics as well. So some of those shorter-term metrics is just looking at the engagement of your target account. So it might be when we have dashboards set up to show us for this quarter, how many target accounts are we engaging with? And then we'll have that split by what does that look like for tier one, tier two, tier three? But also things like, are those target accounts in pipeline? What's the percentage of target accounts that we have in pipeline? Some of the shorter term metrics are things like website metrics. So are those target accounts actually visiting our website? How much time are they spending on our site? What um, content are they engaging with? How many people within our target accounts are actually engaging with our different programs? How many people are engaged? How many engaged contacts do we have within our target accounts? And then how many of those target accounts are moving into pipeline and becoming closed one business? We would look at a comparison of a target account versus a non-target account. Mm. So what is the average deal size? What are the close rates and funnel velocity? So generally what we see is a target account closes much quicker than a non-target account because we've been able to identify them earlier on in the buying journey when they're just starting to show that intent signals. So we can engage with them a lot quicker in the buying journey, but also we're aligning all those different interactions as well. Mm. And we see those average deal sizes increasing because we're able to have those conversations earlier and prove the value of our type of solution. So a lot of our customers use similar metrics as well. And would you advocate for marketeers to be looking at those metrics and even be sort of measured on those metrics, which are much further down the funnel then? You hear about sort of a lot of people in the industry talking about MQLs and the relevance of an MQL. Somebody's downloaded something. What does that actually mean? Mm. A lot of organizations still kind of focus on that as the indicator of performance, the MQL. We want you to achieve X amount of MQLs in this quarter. Yeah, I wouldn't say get rid of the MQL. I think that's one measure. That's not the ultimate measure of success. That's just one part of it. Mm. One of the things that we do is we have a reverse waterfall. We've done that reverse calculations of, okay, this is our pipeline goal for this quarter. 
based on the conversion rates, on our conversion rates, we know how many MQLs we need to generate every quarter to get to that pipeline number. So it's important from that perspective, when I think doing that kind of reverse calculation is really helpful because you can work out what you need from an MQL perspective to get to that pipeline number. I think ultimately pipeline number is very important. And that's one of our overall sort of key metrics. And we have lots of other sort of metrics in there as well. Like for each marketing program that we do, we call it qualified responses. Anybody that's from a target account that matches one of our key personas is a qualified response. And again, that's another metric of success because it's counting the people that really matter Hmm. within the programs that we do. So we might get 300 people that register for a webinar We really care about the ones that are coming from our target accounts because we know we can close those deals faster and the average contract value is higher. Hmm. So I think those are the important metrics to really think about is, again, applying that account lens to those metrics. Right. What do you think will be some of the biggest challenges in executing something like this, having been there, done it yourself? So we've got an unfair advantage because we are an ABM company. So we haven't had to go through that operationalized change in terms of this is the way that we're going to do things. It's like we drink our own champagne and this is the way that it's done. And we've got this platform to help us as well. So we've kind of got an unfair advantage there. But I think some of the challenges that we've seen from our customers and prospects is that organizational change where they have perhaps just been focused on more leads where it's all about volume and it's all quantity over quality, then that shift when you're then having this kind of account-based approach, all of those numbers are a lot smaller because you're really focusing on the accounts that matter most. So I think it's that operational change of actually as a marketing team, we're not just going to be like generating all of these leads, which in most cases are handed over to sales. At that point, marketing's like, you know, done my job. Not a lot of companies are like that, really, but that's what we've seen sort of in the past. Mm. It's really about making sure that you're swapping that focus to say, no, we really want to be focused on a set of target accounts, engaging with those accounts, getting those into pipelines. So it's really swapping that mindset from quantity to quality. And then that marketing and sales alignment as well, which we already talked about, because of that traditional way of we're just going to fill the funnel with as many leads as we can, regardless of whether they're a good fit for our business, it's created that divide between sales and marketing. So some of the ways that people could try and get started is to perhaps test out an ABM pilot with one or two salespeople that are perhaps more marketing friendly (laughs) and really proving out the model to make sure that it works you're set up for success and then once you start to see that success that's naturally then going to get rolled out to the business and it's much easier to get buy-in once you've done that pilot you can say we were able to get these accounts into pipeline win these particular accounts because we had this specific you know they were in our abm program we had a really sort of targeted approach towards them so i think that's one way i would say you know test it out on a smaller scale first to really prove out the model And do you say test it on a sort of more like one-to-one, one-to-few basis or one-to-many? Does that really matter how you sort of do ABM in terms of the sort of total addressable market? Again, it depends on the objectives of the company. It's different. So what we see typically is that most companies would test it out at the one-to-few level. So it might be a cluster Mm. of accounts and we might test it on a particular industry Or it might be, actually, we're going to test this on customers and do this as like a customer expansion play versus prospects to really sort of test out how it works. So it really depends on what the objectives are for the business. But generally, it's on a smaller segment of accounts to begin with. Mm. 
Is content play a part in how difficult it is? Because you know it's all good and well sort of understanding the pain points and your customers, all that kind of stuff. But then you've got to create something which is engaging as well, which is where the creativity comes in. How easy do your sort of customers manage that? The content thing is something that we've got an amazing content team. We've been through this process of mapping out all of our content to all of those different stages of the buyer journey. Not everybody sort of has that luxury or are not quite at that stage yet. So it's just Mm. companies are going to have some content that's going to perform really well. So you can look at that best performing content and just maybe try and repurpose some of that. So you're not creating all this new content if you haven't got the team or the budget to do that. Mm. The other part of it as well, intent data, this is where this can really help. Look at what those target accounts are researching. Look at what pages they're interacting with on your website. That can really help set your content strategy. So you're taking like, what do these accounts really care about? and create content based on that because mm. you know that's getting really good engagement people are researching this these are the most visited pages on our website so we know really where to focus our efforts so i think using that account intelligence data can be really helpful as part of your content strategy great stuff what would be your ideal martech stack then i think we've got it at demand base already to be honest. <laughs> it sounds like it <laughs> yeah we are we're very lucky we've got an amazing marketing operations team I'm going to say demand-based because I believe in the tool. I've been using it for so long now and we're lucky that we have that. So demand-based has to be the tool in there. I think a good, obviously solid CRM system, direct mail platforms as well. We've got a variety of different ones that we use here. So I think direct mail is something that we leverage quite a lot throughout different stages of the sales cycle and a lot with our customers. Marketing automation is also really important as is a kind of sales automation tool. So things like an outreach tool or a sales loft tool, Mm. a webinar platform, again, is really important. Some kind of platform that can help you personalize your website. Those types of platforms, I would say, are really important. Perfect. Now, I noticed you helped establish the Women in B2B network, and you're also an ambassador for it too. So what's that all about? That was something I created at Demandbase a number of years ago now. And it was really just to have a forum and just a place for women to meet and help support each other and help kind of grow their careers as well. So we've done a number of events in the UK and in the States over the years across a multitude of lots of different topics. And we've connected people together and people have found mentors through the program we've addressed lots of different topics so yeah it's really that kind of forum for people to meet and discuss those sort of challenges that they face as a woman in business how we can overcome those challenges as well yeah that's the women's network awesome and practically speaking i mean i know a lot of businesses are talking about gender inequality then but what do you think practically speaking then businesses can do to address this i'm by no means an expert i don't have a HR background or any sort of diversity or inclusion background. What I've seen in my experience and through my conversations is that I think it's really about making gender diversity and inclusion a company initiative that is prioritised and help operationalize that through the organization and have measurements on that. You know, we have what we call our OKRs around that as an organization. We've got a huge sort of focus on diversity and inclusion at demand base and things that are rewarded as well. I think that can really help when it's tied to company metrics. That is a sort of a good initiative and way of people saying, okay, actually my company is really taking this seriously. And when you've got a metric there, there's some accountability there. So, you know, making that a business imperative, I think is important. Also things like hiring for culture when you're hiring new people, particularly in those key roles within the business, 
know, if you want that company culture that really celebrates and embraces that true gender equality, then hiring people that have those same core values can really help as well. And I think encouraging development at all levels, that can be something else that can really help things like looking at evaluating, you know, maternity and paternity leaves, women in leadership roles, all those types of things can really help. And if you were talking to a young woman today then in marketing who wanted to advance their career then, what advice would you give them? So I think it's like looking at those types of policies of the company, you know, what are their sort of core values? What do they stand for? I think understanding what their learning and development plans are. Do they have those kind of career development plans in place? You know, it's a company that they really want to grow at. What does that look like? Do you have that kind of set out to show you, yes, there's a clear sort of path to say, this is how I can get to that next level Mm. within my career. And I've got the tools there and people within the business to support me. Those are the types of things that I would say to look out for and question, you know, if you're sort of interviewing for a new role. You know, some people are always a bit nervous about this sort of stuff. Should I ask the questions that I really want to ask or is it going to jeopardize me getting the job that I really want? Would you recommend candidates to be open and to literally question the company about this sort of stuff? I think so. I think interview in any new role, it's two way. Like you're interviewing the company Mm. and going through an interview process and changing jobs is stressful. (laughs) You don't want to do that. You really want to find a company where you can stay and grow and one that really aligns with your values as well so that you don't have that after, you know, months or a couple of years down the line is actually changing those roles. So I think so. I think interview is like a two-way thing. You're interviewing, the interviewee is, is interviewing the interviewer as much as they're being interviewed, if that makes sense. It does. Well, I would agree. Yeah. And actually, the best companies that we see tend to split the interview in half. So one half will be the company asking the candidate questions, and then it'll literally be, right, okay, we're going to switch now. It's your turn to ask us questions. Nothing's off the table. Honestly, just get it out. Let's talk about it. Because like you said, you either end up getting in a job or a company that isn't quite suited to you, which doesn't benefit anybody in the long term. That's the best thing to do because it might not be a good fit for everybody kind of involved as well. So I think that's important. In my experience, if I'm interviewing people that don't have questions, that's a bit of a red (laughs) flag for me. Mm. Because I'm like, you know, you're not really taking this seriously. You know, they've sort of done their research about your company, but they're interviewing me as well. I see that as a positive thing. Yeah. Last question then. As an experienced demand gen focused marketer then, what do you think makes somebody very good at demand gen? Being data driven and having your strategy based on the data that's there in front of you. I think it's really important. So making those decisions based on what the data is telling you. Perfect. Well, I've really enjoyed our conversation. So thanks very much for giving up your time, particularly, you know, the sort of stuff that you've talked through about building that pipeline, I think will be so useful. The thing that sort of stuck in my mind was this sort of personalization at scale, which is fantastic. And obviously the work you're doing around gender equality is fantastic as well. So I really appreciate your time. Great. Thanks for your time. No worries. So that's it for another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a review as that helps the channel going forward. Until next time.